Hey, hey, welcome to The Weekly, a podcast by Calvary Bible Church, where we connect what happened at the weekend services to our real life lived Monday through Friday. I get to be one of your hosts, Thomas Milburn, with Pastor Jay Ewing. What, no pasta, Jay, this week, my friend? Pasta Jay Ewing. I didn't have any pasta this last week. Oh, man. It was not on my mind. So you're not carbo-loading? <laughs> no, I have no big race coming up. <laughs> That's awesome. It's 2020. We're all carbo-loading, right? I, mean, I have no problem putting on my COVID-19. I'm yeah. COVID-19 loading. Definitely. We are. Hey, it's so good to be with you on a Monday. I hope you had a great home group experience if you're connected to a home group. If you're not, go to calvarybible.com. Check out um, at home. We would love to get you connected to home groups and what God is doing this fall here at Calvary Bible Church. As Thomas says, it's a historic year for us, historic season. This is a season that will be on the Calvary mission, the vision mission wall someday, history wall. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing what God does through you, through us, through the people of God here at Calvary this fall. So if you're not connected, you want to get connected. You don't want to miss out. We have online and in-person home groups. So uh, whatever you're comfortable with, we've got it here at Calvary when it comes to home groups. Have I said enough about home groups yet, Thomas? Yes, you said they were on the lawn. Almost. I keep saying, (laughs) I can't get it out of my head. I know. The summer was good. It was on the lawn, but online. Online. Home groups online. Oh man, that's a bummer. Well, yeah, online were great, but now we're online and in person. Yeah. How cool is it to hear that 1,200 individuals are still connected at home groups. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, it's not in lieu of people being able to watch the sermon all around the world. Right. But what's really, really special about those who are connected in homes, whether in person or virtually, is that they're praying together, they're sharing life together. This week is Communion Sunday, so we're going to take communion together uh, in our homes with one another, and it's that beautiful piece of the body of Christ gathered in the home for this season that's really going to build some spiritual muscle for us. Yeah, so, you know, I did starting point this last weekend. We had a great time connecting with new people to Calvary, and I gave the sort of the history of the Andersons, the Andersons, the Andersons, and the Nelsons, that joke that's around here when we talk about uh, who started Calvary 130-plus years ago. And uh, they started in a home. How crazy is that, that Calvary, even in this season, an innovation of 2020 is starting in a home? It's, it's probably not that crazy because they were poor <laughs> and they couldn't afford a nice building. That's right. They're Swedish immigrants. Yeah. yeah. But it's just neat how God continues to sustain his church no matter what season, right? Absolutely. Amen. All right. So we had a message from Thomas. So uh, there's no special guest this week for those who are tuning in. Uh, we've had some special guests. So you want to check out our earlier podcast. If you have a question Based upon the conversation we've had in the weekend gathering, this experience, um, email us at theweekly at calvarybible.com, and we'll get back to you. We love answering those questions. We've been answering those questions. So, Thomas, you were up this weekend for Acts 14, which uh, is a very wide-ranging text. Yeah, so I figured since it's so big... I should just do the entire chapter. <laughs> That's bold, my friend. That's bold. <laughs> I was joking with someone this morning who was in their home group and said, man, I really like the message is plural. I said, yeah, <laughs> we kind of gave three sermons when you thought it was over. It was just starting again. No doubt. No doubt. So it was a great text. I mean, it's interesting. I read one commentary, one commentator, actually, I should say, because he's still alive, 
said that um, the theme of sort of Acts 11, 12, 13, and 14 specifically is because of the grace of God. That's sort of the theme, that the church, the growth, the um, movement of these faithful individuals is because of the grace of God. And we saw it again once here again in Acts 14, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And when you think of grace of God, we often think grace meaning just undeserved merit, which is true, and there's nothing that's wrong about that. But in addition to that, it's the grace of God is the power of God, that he is working, that he's the initiator of, that he's the one that gets to start, he gets to be the one that finishes. That's the grace of God. Yes, it is unmerited, and yet it is his source. It's his power. He gets to give it. And we get to see how that unfolds in a few more cities as Paul, who's been faithful um, to respond to that grace of God and seeing the grace, that power of God transform his own life, is now stepping into cities and sharing with them this transformational power, this grace of God for them, for their communities, for their homes, for their families. It's pretty pretty radical to see what's happening in Acts. Yeah, and that's a great segue into sort of the conversation we were having um, in my home group and with some of my friends was how bold these individuals seem as we read these texts and how scary sometimes it is to read, just being honest, right, to read these texts and think, I could never do what Paul just did. So, like, I don't want to actually read about it. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. In the, um, in the home group kind of downloads for the leader's guide for the questions, uh, one of the questions was a multiple choice question. Question number two, two read this way. What comes to mind when you hear that Christ followers should expect to face trouble or difficulties because of their faith? And I really liked the options here. Uh, a, let's change the subject. Option B, I feel guilty for having a relatively easy life. C, I feel terrified because of what I what it could mean for my own life. D, I don't believe it's true for me. Or E, something else. I think most, you know, Bible believing Western Christians I've I've talked to feel a bit guilty for having a relatively quote unquote easy life. And I think some of that easiness that I've even experienced comes from a lack of boldness. Mm -hmm. So when Paul goes in and he says he's preaching boldly, we often think, yeah, it's courageously. He has a lot of energy behind him, um, passionately. But boldly, I I probably want to frame in people's mind, means um, completely or fully. So what he's preaching is the full gospel, the whole truth. And so to preach boldly is to not leave certain subjects unsaid. And we as Christians, especially as American Christians, love to keep part of our faith, some of the things that we believe that we know that people are going to be upset about or that bother others to ourselves. And what Paul would say is, no, to preach Christ boldly would be to preach Christ in every area, sphere, circle of life. That's what it means to preach something boldly, is completely reaching all areas of our life. And when we do that, we're probably going to upset some folks and experience some more difficulties because of our faith. So what you're saying is in the context of like, okay, our office or the cubicles we live in, um, the, the people we interact with at the grocery store, maybe those who we share, um, you know, the pickleball court at the rec center or whatever we're doing. What do you, do, what do you, you play pickleball? <laughs> I'm not going to admit that I, I know my friend play Greg pickleball. plays pickleball. Yeah. I didn't know you play pickleball. Occasionally I pick up a paddle, my friend. Okay. But I'm right, just, so I'm for just this, giving sorry. an exa- example. Okay, okay? For this example, Pastor Jay is playing pickleball. 
<laughs> with the retirees of Erie Rec Center. <laughs> I like this. Okay. Hey, I haven't bought white shoes and white socks yet, my friend. So oh, I, have. I have not. I have. It's all on, man. Okay, on. but um, how do you, how does one speak bully? What are you talking about when you say the whole things that we would want individuals to talk about that might get us in trouble? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if anything directly comes to mind except for could you as an individual think of a time when you purposefully stopped speaking about your faith because you know where the conversation was going. And you knew if I continue to speak about my faith as the conversation unfolded in that area, whether that be finances, marriage, sexuality, eternal destiny, you know, whatever, just take some right. hot button topics. Um, I, I cease to talk about it because I know, well, at the end of the day, I'll probably experience some hardship because of this. Not because of the way I'll present it, not because I'll be rude or I won't be gentle in my words, but just because this is what I hold in my belief. And what the gospel calls me to, I know I'll experience rejection, hardship, sufferings. Yeah, so when we look at Paul, why, why do you think he was so bold? What, are, sort of, what is in his story that you think that just sort of sets him apart to be so fully explaining the the gospel and the counsel of God. Yeah, you know, one word would come to my mind actually is I think that Paul has um, a conviction about the gospel that many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, don't. That Paul is fully convinced of everything that he's teaching is true. Mm, that's a big statement right there. Are you fully convinced that everything you're reading that you're learning in the scriptures is true. Yeah. Yeah. How, I mean, even just ask yourself, um, you know, as a Bible believing, God fearing woman, a man, young, old, how convinced are you that what you have believed is true? Hmm. So, what you're saying is maybe this week, um, just for application, real world, take some time and think about those things, right? Ponder them, pray for them, journal them, talk to a loved one or, someone in your community about what you actually believe about the gospel, maybe. Yeah, maybe you take an opportunity to say, okay, what am I less convinced about? Or you could say, what do I doubt? Or what, what seems to be seeing things that I'm not certain about? And then you start building some scaffolding around it to try to build up its architecture. What, what kind of um, teachings could you lean into? Maybe podcasts or books or sermon series that you could access that will help actually build up the structure around some of those ideas of, wow, if Paul was this convinced that Jesus was the Christ, and maybe I'm not feeling as convinced that that's true, what sort of material should I get around, people should I get around, who seem to be convinced, where do they get that historical evidence, what has convinced them, and trying to put yourself in their shoes and build some of that into your own life. Yeah, and it's not just for your own knowledge's sake. That's one of the trappings of that, right? Is It's not for your own knowledge, but it actually is to increase your boldness for the gospel is based upon your deep study, your deep learning, your deep dwelling with Jesus himself saying, I can now be more assured in my boldness for what I'm saying. Right? Yeah. Always. I mean, we really want home groups to be a place where we're hearing God's word. We're investigating God's word. We're dialoguing about God's word so that we can teach and share God's truth with other people if, if we haven't got it into our minds and our hearts enough that we want to go share it, then it needs to find a deeper home in us. 
Okay. That's great. That's a great encouragement. So in this text also, we, we move into Paul and Barnabas and uh, Lystra. Um, and it's a really interesting way in which he explains the gospel. You talked about this in your message a little bit about how he didn't actually approach it the same way we've read he approached it earlier in some of his journeys. Explain what, what's going on, again, for us, the listener, and like why is he explaining the gospel this way and in this tone towards these new these people? So today, Jay and I were um, doing a, a pastoral visit uh, with with a loved family that has lost a loved one and just caring for them. And then afterwards, Jay took me through a city where he began as a youth pastor and kind of setting that up. Jay, what were you saying about some of the middle school students with their biblical literacy as you began as a student ministry person? Yeah, it was really interesting. It's like my first real ministry, right, where I cut my teeth of like what is actually this all about. It wasn't a textbook. It wasn't an idea. It was like real world living. And I realized really early on that these students didn't know anything about Jesus. Like they maybe heard his name. They may maybe had seen the Disney version of the um, Prince of Egypt, but that's it. Like there was never any knowledge of like, Oh, Abraham, or let's talk about Moses. Or do you remember what Noah did in the ark? Like there was none of that. And so I learned really quickly some of the language I was using was disenfranchising myself to them because they didn't know what a base knowledge of where I had started. Yeah, and, and would you say that those names like Moses or books like Genesis are not important anymore to know? Not at all. They're extremely important to know. But when someone starts off in a faith journey or discovering who God is— you, they need some help translating what what has actually gone on, what is what has been happening before the creation of the world. What are these books about that really um, will shape them later? But that it, it's sort of it's hard to come in. It's like if you were going to go play baseball, right, or go to a baseball game, and you've never seen baseball ever before. Where would you start explaining? Would you start RBIs? You know, would you start about um, Sabermetrics, would you start about balls and strikes? Where would you start? It's not that they don't need to know some of these things to enjoy baseball. It just takes time of like, here's home plate. Here's first base. I mean, we've taught, we, we've coached T-ball. You know, one of the hardest things to learn the first season is running right instead of left down the baseline. So like in the same way with the gospel, is you, you've got to sort of give them the lay of the landscape in very simple terms in order for them to understand at the very beginning who Jesus is. Perfect. So that basically answered your question of what Paul's doing here. So Paul is going to different cities, and you'll see that his MO is usually to go find the synagogue, the believers who are already oriented towards the things of the Judean faith, knowing who God is as the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the God of Israel with this rich, rich history that he is directing the people of God towards. And so what we have here is a different setting where there's no synagogue mentioned. doesn't mean that there isn't one, but it's not mentioned here, and Paul doesn't go to the synagogue. In fact, he begins by seeing a, a paralyzed man who's been crippled from birth and seeing that he has faith, has this amazing miracle, 
where the man is able to walk, and then all of a sudden the crowds. So now we have the general populace of people who are responding to things that Paul is speaking about, and they have no concept, kind of like your middle school students, of what's Genesis, whose father Abraham, uh, I've never heard of King David, and so to start there would be like starting with RBIs with someone who's never heard of baseball. And so what Paul does, he begins with where these people are at, what have they believed, and then trying to connect that to a response they should have that God has called all people to, to believe in the living God. So he has some working knowledge. It looks like from the text that Paul has some working knowledge about like some of the things that they believe, like Zeus, Hermes. It's really interesting. Yeah, and this is actually a prequel to a longer episode where Paul finds himself in Athens in the Aragopagus. We're going to get that in Acts chapter 17. And he has a longer dialogue of how to take natural things and make them spiritual or things that are already culturally accepted and turn it towards things about God the Creator. And I think this is more and more important for us, talking about how to practically live this out in our day and age. Um, We cannot assume biblical knowledge anymore. And I actually no longer assume biblical knowledge for even people who are coming to church on Sunday mornings. Because at the end of a sermon, I can't even tell you how many times, um, I've been asked by someone who's been at church before, um, who's coming to Calvary because they moved to Colorado for the first time, and they'll say, hey, I really loved your sermon. I really got a lot out of it. Just one real quick question. Who is Father Abraham? Or you said something about this is in the Old Testament. What's the difference between in the Old Testament and the New Testament? And it always takes me back to say, okay, we want to keep the bar high here at Calvary. We want people to be reaching and striving for, for biblical knowledge. But what's important is to help people along the way. And you have to begin where they are if you're going to bring them where you desire them to be. And so it's not wrong to use these terms. It's not wrong to say the God of Abraham or the God of Isaac for Paul to even say those things. Um, if he's going to be willing to explain it. And so here we have just this quick snippet of, I'm sure he got to Father Abraham later. Yeah, I'm sure he did, actually. But he's not starting with a Jewish group of people who are already oriented towards the Scriptures and love their Bible and is able to say, as you've heard Isaiah say, so Jesus fulfilled. As the prophet Joel said, so God has fulfilled with the Holy Spirit. It would just be totally foreign. But what he does begin with is these idols— so they're, they're, a, they're a worshiping community, these idols that they have, and connecting that to, well, if, if your heart is for worship, well, let me tell you about the greatest thing to worship. In fact, compared to the things that you are worshiping, these things are going to seem empty, worthless, nothing, because they should all just be an orientation to pointing you towards the living God yeah. who has created the heavens and the earth. One of the things he doesn't leave out is the gospel itself either, right? So it'd be powerless if he did. Right, so he's talking about, you know, the gospel of what God has done and their response to it. But instead of using spiritual jargon or religious jargon of maybe even like repentance of your sins, he says, turn from these empty, I mean dead things, worthless things, and turn to the living God. Now, what's embedded in that is repentance, that you should turn from your sins, your idols, things that are worthless and keeping you from God, and turn to repent, turn into receive the living God. Uh, an example of that is actually the church in Thessalonica. So the Thessalonians uh, received Paul's message and experienced a lot of suffering, but they did this. They responded to whatever preaching they had from Paul, and they turned into the Lord. So this is First Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse Let's see here, starting in verse 9, we'll say, 
For they themselves, this is those who have heard of their faith, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Same language here. And Paul is crediting this church that people have heard about their great faith, that they heard about God, they repented, they turned from their idols and started serving, following the true living God. That's awesome. What a great... What a great example for us that whatever you find culturally yourself in, so your coworkers, your family members, your friends, you know, it's really about translation, getting to the heart of like, what do they understand so I can explain better the gospel and get them further down the road of knowing who Jesus is and his great work for them. You know who does this really, really well? Our missionaries. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, start, you have to start seeing yourself as a missionary. So let's just pretend you land in this foreign culture where they love to worship themselves. And everything that they acquire, accumulate, the jobs that they seek after are really to bring themselves recognition, accolades, importance. Their identity is wrapped up in those things. What would you do if you were going to land in Erie, Colorado? Welcome to foreign land is Erie, Boulder, Thornton. And start describing the gospel. How would you get someone to stop thinking about themselves and start thinking about the one who made them? Right. That's, that's a question of missions. And if you see yourself as a missionary, then you're really interested in, okay, what are the idols, the prizes, the badges of a culture? And how do they really point to a deeper, fuller longing that we have for the creator? So, okay, a great recommendation source then for that type of work is K.A. Smith, You Are What You Love. It's a great book. So K.A. Smith um, is a philosopher, Christian, theologian, um, and he says... You go to the city and you look at the biggest building in the city and that is what they worship. And that's a great sort of translation practice for us. You go to Boulder. What do, what do you think Boulder worships? What are some of the biggest buildings? What are the some most popular spots? Go to Thornton the same way. What is going on here in Thornton in the sense of where are people gathering? What do they invest their time in? And then you know exactly what people love. And so um, K.A. Smith, You Are What You Love, is a great recommendation for those who are thinking about being missionaries where they live. All right, we'll drop that book, resources, the clicks on it in our show notes. Definitely, definitely. Now let's get to verse 22. And this is like a really puzzling verse um, in the sense that we see that the disciples are encouraged to be encouraged in their faith. And st- saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, we talked a little bit about this in our home group, but I would like a little better understanding um, what we were thinking when it comes to verse 22 um, and 14. What's really going on here when um, Luke documents sort of what Paul and the early disciples of these regional churches are going through? Yeah, so I think he's just being honest with people. And I think this, this is my personal assessment is oftentimes we as Christian leaders or even those who help bring uh, women and men, young and old, into the faith, we omit, it's not the whole council, right? We don't speak about everything. We omit that there are sufferings and tribulations, hardships associated with being a Christian in a world that God does not rule yet, that you have the prince of the air. You have people who are antagonistic towards Christianity, and we don't give people a good anticipation that in this world, as Jesus said, you're going to have hardships, you're going to have tribulations, you're going to have sufferings, 
but take heart in the midst of those that God has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. We can begin to now count it all joy whenever we experience these hardships and trials because we know what God is going to produce in us and through us in them. So when you get to this, it's not as though like this is a stigmata where we actually inflict wounds on ourselves, and by wounding ourselves, we make it to heaven. What Paul is saying is, if you're going to live a godly life, you're going to experience tribulations and sufferings. As evidenced right here in, in Luke's recording of what Paul's been through. I mean, remember, he just came out of persecution, and he's about to go into some persecution. Right. And so he's strengthening the disciples, and I think as he strengthened his own heart and his own soul of what we talked about on Sunday— who God is, you got to remind yourself who God is, that God's the God of the universe, sovereign, that he has, has promised certain things, and he's done them, and then he has pledged to do more things. And so who God is, what God has done, looking back in the rearview mirror, both in the Bible of what God's accomplished. I mean, this is part of the Jewish Christian faith is remember who God is and what he has done. Yeah, one of the greatest disciplines you can have as a Christian is remembering is remembering, because it's so easy to forget. Right. And then remember what he's pledged to do. So if that's who God is, and that's what he has accomplished, then look at what he's promised to do, to bring us through, to be present with us, and, and really even at one day to wipe every tear and mend every wound. Yeah, so what would you say were some great practices you've implemented in your life, marriage, family, to help you guys remember what God has done in your own life so you can stay faithful in the present circumstances? So my amazing wife, she's so good at journaling. She has stacks and stacks of journals that you could open up and remember what God has done. Yeah, that's a great way to remember. Yeah, so I don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I should probably be better at journaling. Um, But what I'm really good at is writing short little notes. And Mm. so we have a collection. We have a jar in our house. We have a collection of kind of prayers that God we've given to God and God has answered and things that God's just shown up and done in our life. And this is through hard times and good times, through Thanksgiving. And then at the end of the year, we have a jar collection of God's faithfulness for the year. And we kind of recount them on New Year's, maybe it's day or thereof, of what God had done for us that year. And then we take kind of the top five to ten most meaningful to us. Right. Um which don't ask me how we judge that, just yeah. most meaningful to us. And we stick them back in the next year's jar. And so for the last several years, we've also been able to read through, oh, five years ago, don't forget what God did here. And that's kind of been our jar of thanksgiving, which turns into our jar of remembrance. So by the way, if you haven't heard of this practice, um, my wife and I picked it up after Thomas and his wife let us know what they did. Um, and it has blessed us immensely. And it's easy to keep a jar sort of close by the kitchen table. The kitchen is usually where we drop it so that you can write a quick note. But I've been amazed at what God actually does through us when we totally forget from day to day. Yeah. Now, now are you a journaler? I am a journaler. How do you do it? Not everybody does it the same way. Yeah. I I actually have taught a class on how to journal, journal purposely and how to sort of orient your journals towards God and what God is up to in your life. Um, so I, I do a very distinct method of rhythm um, each from day to day that sort of helps me stay in focus of what God's doing. So the first thing is, what has God done the day before? That's easy enough, right? Sort of reflecting. What are you thankful for? Then that's the next section. And what are you got, what do you want God to do? 
um, this day or in the coming days. And that sort of helps frame up what God is doing. And it actually makes me pause and think because most often I'm so full of busyness and schedule and all those things that uh, I, I need this time to actually just pause and sit with the Lord and make sure I'm focusing on what he's trying to accomplish. So it helps me stay focused. All right. That's amazing. You, you get an A plus for being a Christian journaler. But no, but I honestly, I came to faith and the, my mentor told me this is what every Christian did. Little did I know that most of us don't. So I, it's an instinctive habit for me. I know that not everyone has that in them, but you've got to find a way in which to document. I've also seen it where people take a picture um, each day, post it to their Instagram. And so in the year, they have a collection of these pictures of what God has done. So they take pictures of loved ones or great meals or great hikes or um, moments at their work or Bible scripture, you know, or passages of good books. And they sort of remember what God is doing through those moments. Yeah. You know, it's a digital way. For us C minus disciples <laughs> like myself. Come on, uh, man. No, what, you know, one of the most helpful tools that uh, we have at our house is a five year journal. Uh, I think Levenger makes them. It, it definitely breaks the bank to buy one of these journals. But remember, you have to buy it every five years. Wow. So, yeah, so it's, it's, maybe it's cheaper. I don't know. Um, but it really only has like three lines per day, and it takes you through five years. So you're just jotting down a line or two, not journaling a whole entry, of something you prayed, a hardship you're in, something that's um, happening in your life that day. And when you come back around the next year, you bump into it. And this is what I remember is, oh, yeah. I remember how hard those days were. Wow, I'm so glad I'm not in those days anymore. But when I was writing that, I didn't think those days would end. And then what I'm reminded of, remember the whole thing is remember what God has done is, oh, the Lord was present there and he sustained me and he brought me through. So maybe next time I put my pen to the paper and I'm journaling about another really hard day that I don't think I'm gonna make it through or a hard season, I'm reminded of the fact that God brought me through the last one. And the one before that. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing journal. It, it's kind of like, have you ever been on your iPhone? Because I know we use iPhones. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you ever bought like an Android phone? No. Why I, would I do that? I did one time. <laughs> I remember I did, this. I one time. <laughs> it, it, it left really quickly. <laughs> yeah. So, we, okay. Both have iPhones. We have, we have like Model 4s or 5s. I can't yep. remember what it is. Um, but it's really cool when, uh, I don't know how, I'm sure some technology by the NSA government is spying on me. <laughs> but when it shoots me a memory, do you get those? Oh, so yeah. it's like, hey, you have a From new memory. And I kind of feel like it's minority report a little bit. Yeah. But it brings me up a picture that I took four or five years ago on that day. Yeah. And what does that remembrance bring me is, is kind of great joy of, oh, I remember that day. Sometimes they're hard memories though. And right. They, they don't know. They're just generating this with an algorithm. Totally. Of, oh, I remember that hard suffering. But then I remember that God was present there, right. and that God has brought me to this point. That's the that's the fruit of remembrance. Yeah. Now, Jay, how do you see other people helping you remember? Well, that's where you have to be in community. I mean, that's like a softball question. You, that's a wicked twelve foot arc over you're the welcome. fence. But it's really about community. Um, it's when you're known over a long period of time by certain individuals that they can help you remember what has happened in the past. So when you have great seasons of suffering or hardship, great seasons of being disoriented, um, these individuals should be able to speak in your life and say, 
this is this is what went through five years ago, you know, and help you remember what's going on. One of the best things I've ever heard, um, it's a great word study. If you ever want to get into the, sort of the nerdy word study, is Ebenezer in the scriptures. Um, that word is a very funny word, but it's a really um, a significant word. We sing it in a famous hymn, but uh, it's a really great moment to realize that um, these stones which were set up in the Old Testament, which God called the people of God to, um, were really um, moments to remember what he was doing. So that's a great word study for someone who's interested. Yeah, I think any, any um, discipline or people or God's word or music that can help you remember who you are, remember whose you are, and call you back to the faith that, that Paul's pressing in with these believers. says, don't forget these things. Um, I'm trying to encourage your heart because there will be hard times. There's going to be suffering. And suffering is, is one of the most interesting things to me because suffering is either the gate that keeps you from or is the gate that will guide you to deeper things of God. And either it's a gate that says, oh, I'm never going to cross that. I'm never going to go to God because look at the hard things. Or it's the gate that says, oh, through that narrow gate, I experience deeper things of God where he meets me in the midst of my hardship and grief and reveals more to me about himself that helps carry me and build even a deeper faith. One, one author put it this way, if you ask people who don't believe in God why they don't, the number one reason will be suffering. If you ask people who believe in God when they grew most spiritually, the number one answer will be suffering. Man, that's a great that's a great insight. Okay, so we're running out of time. I, I need you to commit, Thomas, on the airwaves. The next week we're going to talk about prayer and fasting. I think these are really good, significant moments in the early church. Verse 23 of 14. So can we remind ourselves to talk about this in the coming week of podcasting? Sure. I mean, how else would you know how to appoint leadership? <laughs> exactly, right? That's a textual joke. You have to read your Bible. You have to, to read it. your Bible to get it. But hey, Calvary, we love you. We are so thankful you're tuning in. If you've got questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to us the weekly at calvarybible.com. Uh, and we would love to hear from you. What's your questions? What are you wrestling with your faith? What are you hearing from God in these texts we're journeying week to week? Let me leave you with this great psalm, Psalm 112. This was a psalm I was reading this morning. Verse 7 and 8 says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. My friends, we all have bad news from week to week. We all have ups and downs. But the righteous, we are saying, are steadfast because we trust in the Lord. We're praying your trust in the Lord increases day by day, week by week, year by year. We love you, and we will see you very soon, my friends.